0: Hello again, everybody. Uh, This week on Taming the Shrew, we're gonna continue our case series here. Uh, Last week, we talked about a gentleman presenting with back pain, sort of septic patient. Oh, forego any giving away of what it was in case you haven't listened to that one. However, we're gonna move on now to a patient coming in with some leg pain. So 61-year-old gentleman presenting with leg pain. uh, When you go into the room, basically tells you that it's been going on for a couple days, it's getting a lot worse. Seems like it's more swollen. He thinks it's actually changing colors you know pains a lot worse when he walks on it he does have a history of alcoholism alcohol dependence he drinks about a fifth of whiskey a day has had some multiple falls doesn't know if he's fallen or injured this leg and has been drinking here tonight um you know vital signs his temperature is 98.4 pulse is 105 respiratory rate is 15 blood pressure is 158 over 95 o2 sat 95% on room air And uh, again, this week, joined also again with uh, Dr. Ryan LaFollette, who's going to help kind of go through these cases. So Dr. LaFollette, when you uh, hear that sort of initial HPI vignette, uh, obviously there's a lot there that's uh, that's, uh, missing. So what else do you want to know about this patient?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So I want to know if there is any evidence of trauma on the patient and or try to distill down the the trauma story a little bit more, uh, just because if the leg really is changing colors in the setting of underlying trauma, um, then that's something you you probably need to be concerned about uh, extravasation and or operative management of uh, as well as the kind of the vascular status of uh, the extremity uh, prior to um, really getting into um, any diagnostics.
0: Yeah, a lot of times, you know, when someone's saying that uh, something's changing color, or they have like a boil or an abscess, or they've injured something, or have a bruise or abrasion or something like that, uh, you know, a picture's worth a thousand words, and so just like starting off by, oh, let's just take a look at this first, and then you can kind of get a better sense of how to gauge your your history. You obviously are going to take a full history, but knowing what it is you are looking at um, uh, or going into is uh is kind of most important uh you know we've all seen spider bites in the emergency department obviously and so if you look at it and it looks like an abscess you can really kind of hone your hpi a little bit better than if you look at it then it looks like you know a legit spider bite (laughs) then that becomes a lot that becomes a little bit of a different history that you're going to be taking so um you know with this gentleman you know he really doesn't remember if he's fallen at all um, you look at this leg to kind of get that initial sense of this, and it does not look good. Um, so his his left leg appears to be uh, markedly more swollen than the than the right leg. It is violaceous uh, in color. There appears to be some modeling or bruising overlying it, uh, and the and the the, the sort of violaceous color is is markedly different than it is uh, on the right leg. Um, so that's uh, that's sort of its its appearance uh so given that uh is there anything else kind of what other questions you're having is it we'll, well we can throw the picture up on the website but it, the picture itself prompts a lot of questions
1: <laughs> it does indeed i mean trauma is still on there but um, yeah i mean you're worried about significant vascular compromise of some etiology of the left lower extremity um and so you really got to ask questions, you know, abdominal questions you want to ask and see if there's any uh, embolic complications from this. Are they having chest pain? Do they feel short of breath? And really expanding to more systemic questions, especially if there's any hemodynamic
0: question. Yeah. So, yeah, when you look at this leg, you know, a lot of times you look at a leg and swelling of a, of a single leg and you say, ah, yeah, DVD could be in the differential here. I think that, you know, blood clot is a possibility. You look at this leg and you say, that's a blood clot. Uh, without without really any question whatsoever like that's that's a blood clot and it's it's a bad blood clot. Um so I think your additional questions of uh you know could the patient have a pe or some other embolic complication from it uh is uh, certainly good. Also probably want to get into a little bit of like do you have a history of blood clots uh familial thromboembolism like that sort of thing? Yeah, you know, recent surgeries, immobilization. you know, he did have actually an orif of the left femur of that that leg. Uh, kind of remotely maybe a month ago i had to get some surgery on it um and so that obviously uh would be some immobilization he'd been doing well since the surgery but um but uh but still some period of immobilization with that big surgery um what are you going to really look for talk to me about your physical exam on on this person how do you uh, how are you going about it
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, in the more subtle patient in which you are concerned about some lower extremity swelling, I find that the pre-tibial space is a good way to assess if there's any pitting component to it. Uh, In addition, finding, obviously, finding pulses in the foot. And then if not uh, looking for popliteal pulses um, is is a good place to start. Obviously, moving all of the associated joints to evaluate for a possible source, so ankle, knee, and then up to the hip. Um, I find that doing this passively is kind of the most sensitive way to look for possible infectious and or uh, joint space involvement. And then again, going all the way up into the abdomen um, and and seeing if there's any uh, pulsatility or any um, concerning physical findings there.
0: Yeah. So I think that, uh, you know, a couple good points there, you know, in the, in the subtle patient with uh, some complaints of unilateral leg swelling you know actually measuring the leg in comparison to the other leg uh it can be good whether you get the the paper tape uh that uh, is used for bundle height uh, occasionally in the emergency department i suppose or other random uh measuring tasks uh or you can actually if you use a uh one of the loop tourniquets that they use for iv starts um you know ensure that you don't stretch it out obviously but you can mark it on one side take it to the other side and see what the difference between those two is um a good vascular exam you know top to bottom anytime that you have some concern for vascular compromise in the patient if they present with the pallorous painful leg uh you know that that patient you want to get know uh, what's femoral pulse popliteal pulse dp pt you know ABIs even, potentially, um, if you have uh, some palpable pulses. You want to try to detect some subtle differences. Um, Good neurologic exam as well. Sensory uh, exam in all all, uh, dermatomes. Um, And then, like you said, assessing the joints, what's the mobility, is there swelling in the joints themselves, Uh, limited range of motion, something that would uh, predispose or not predispose, but something that would indicate, you know, a a septic arthritis, maybe, Um, and assessing compartments, too. So this gentleman's got a history of alcohol abuse. You know, we certainly see patients with polysepsis abuse that uh, overdose and then lie on an affected extremity in an, uh, an unusual way for a long period of time and then come in with usually severe pain out of proportion and, and end up having a compartment syndrome. I've seen several gluteal compartment syndromes that uh, have occurred just like that. And so uh, palpating all of his compartments to, to make sure that they're, they are all soft um, is, uh, is important as well. Um for this patient, you know, uh his surgical site on that leg is healing well. There's uh no no evidence of any drainage or uh purulence from the wounds. Um the compartments are compressible everywhere, but the patient also has really significant pain everywhere. Does have a DP pulse, um his age will arrange his ankle and his knee, uh but a little bit limited secondary to uh to a swelling. Um so, uh, and your abdominal exam, which obviously you keyed in on as well, is is pretty unremarkable. You know, nothing really sig- of significance there. Um, so, looking at this uh, this this gentleman's leg, you know, what's you know what's the term for this? Like, what what is this? It's a clot, obviously, and a bad clot. Uh, what's the term for this? The appearance of this leg?
1: Yeah. So, this uh, is phlegmatius really a dolens, um, which is a concern for arterial compromise. It is complete venous compromise with impingement on the arterial supply of the leg. Um, it's actually predominantly on the left leg, uh, secondary to the anatomy of how the iliac uh, comes together and its compressibility of the, um, the right iliac artery as the left iliac vein comes in, um, kind of like May-Turner syndrome anatomic predisposition to clot in this leg. It um, tends to happen in the fifth and sixth decades of life, and uh, about 20 to 40% of these people actually ultimately have a malignancy as a causative um, uh, procoagulant uh, predisposition to uh, the clot, and the vein gets just so distended with clot um, that it initially causes vascular compromise, uh, which can be uh, phlegmaceous and alba. Uh, And then ultimately causes enough venous congestion that you start to get gangrenous changes in the leg, which results in this um, purple discoloration uh, and obviously exquisite pain in the leg.
0: So, so what, are your, what are your next steps on management of this patient? You've got some labs. You know, the patient's got a normal white count. Uh, he's got a stable chronic anemia. Uh, his, his renal panel has uh, got a creatinine of 2.1, which is kind of new for him. But apart from that, um, you know, nothing really remarkable on there. CK is a little bit mildly elevated at 100. And the rest of, rest of his labs are kind of normal. So what's your next steps in terms of management for this patient?
1: Yeah, rarely does a DVT really incite um, need for moving quickly, but this is though one situation where you've got to move quickly and you've got to involve consultants, and this is one where um, vascular surgery and or interventional radiology, um, if they're amenable to do so, really needs uh, to be involved for um, consideration of thrombectomy, thrombolysis, some way to get that clot out uh, and regain viability of the leg.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, when we're talking about DVT, you know, and you know, thromb, uh, and venous thromboembolism um, in the extremities, you know, there's a, a sort of a, a broad uh, presentation that these can have. Uh, they can be like a simple SVT with a little bit of deep extension that's distal to the. To the knee, and they get treated one way, uh, sometimes very conservatively, which is reassessment uh, with serial uh, ultrasounds, uh, or sometimes if the patient has a lot more risk factors, maybe you get as aggressive as, as putting that patient on anticoagulation. Um, as you start to progress that clot up closer uh, to the uh, to the abdomen to the to the central circulation, uh, your 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 treatment just sort of just gets more and more aggressive, and and those patients that have a complete uh, venous occlusion uh, proximally, uh, those patients tend to. There's some evidence that a ECOS or a, a catheter directed thrombolysis approach uh, or a thrombectomy approach in those patients can limit their long term. Um, post-thrombotic syndrome uh, of the leg uh, complications which you know the post-thrombotic syndrome after a DVT you end up with chronic swelling chronic pain of that leg because of the, the stripping of the veins from the from the clot being present um, and uh, obviously this one because you have some degree of, uh, of potential for arterial compromise um, this is one where you definitely um, have uh, an indication for getting a consultant on board to have an aggressive sort of uh thrombectomy versus uh, thrombolysis approach uh, for the patient you know um so vascular surgery would be uh, would be probably your call uh so sort into of institution dependent obviously uh, but uh but that would be the next person i would i would talk to uh, what are there any other thoughts on this this patient or the approach of the treating dvt you know uh this patient had a little bit of tachycardia you worried about pe are you going to chase that like how, how's your approach on that
1: yeah i think it's tough because you clearly have a patient who has a strong predisposing factor oh. to have a significant um, uh, pulmonary embolism in, in the absence of symptoms and hemodynamic stability um i think you can focus on thrombectomy of the leg um i would be more concerned in the setting of tachycardia um that there could be a, an occult PE. The issue is your treatment is going to be essentially be the same, is that this patient is undergoing therapeutic anticoagulation. So I would consider looking for signs of submassive PE um, and looking for signs of red heart strain. So consider a troponin, consider a uh, BNP, and consider an EKG and, and possibly a bedside echo to look for signs um, where you should be focusing your thrombolytic thrombectomy treatment on the heart and not the leg um, as you're otherwise going to be starting this patient on uh, on fractionated heparin anyway um, pending your vascular consultant.
0: Yeah, totally agree. I think that your treatment is going to be the same regardless. Searching for a PE in this patient, you always you would just have to ask yourself: Does this change my management in any way, shape, or form? And the only way that it does change your management is if the patient has some degree of you compromise because of it. If they have right heart strain on an echo, if they have uh, uh, if they have uh, troponin BNP elevation, those would be uh, individuals who may, uh, in some institutions, but in Institutions um, have an approach that involves an ECOS catheter or some other catheter directed thrombolysis uh, to, to manage them um, and may involve the, the activation of a PE response team. Um, although, really, all comers in this are your initial approach is, is going to be start the patient on heparin, you know, get your consultants on board and get the patient dispositioned. All right, so that leaves us with one final patient, and we'll catch that in our next podcast. Stay tuned. We'll we'll talk about a 59-year-old female coming in with headache, a little bit of a mild temperature elevation, and vitals otherwise look okay. We'll save the best for last, potentially. See you next time.